There was a king of England, and his name was Canute. This is not the actual picture of Canute. Uh, he probably didn't have a, uh, you probably can't see it very well, but there's a rubber ducky uh, water uh, thing around his waist. Uh, I don't think they had those back then. But anyway, King Canute uh, was a ruler of England, and his people uh, would flatter him all the time. They would say wonderful things about him. His court was full of people who would do nothing but flatter him. And they would tell him how wonderful he was. They would say things like, you are the greatest man who has ever lived. You are the most powerful king of all. Your highness, there is nothing you cannot do. Nothing in this world dares disobey you. The king was a wise man. And he grew tired of such expressions. He grew tired of such flattery and foolish speeches. One day he was walking along the seashore and Canute decided to teach his people a lesson. So you say I am the greatest man who has ever lived, he said. Oh yes, king. Yes, you truly are. And you say that there is nothing in this world that dares disobey me? Surely, king, nothing in this world would disobey you. Well, <coughs> excuse me. I want you to go back to my palace and I want you to get my chair, and I want you to put it down by the water. So the people ran back to the palace as fast as they could. They grabbed the, the chair, his royal throne, and they bring it down and they set it on the edge of the water. He says, I notice that the tide is coming in. And I'm going to command the waters to come no further. I'm going to sit here in my chair. I'm going to command uh, the ocean uh, not to come any further. Do you think it will stop if I give the command? Give the order, O great king, and it will obey, they said. See, cried Canute, <clears throat> I command you to come no further. Do not dare touch my feet. So he sat in his chair, and all of a sudden a wave came up and lapped at his feet. How dare you, Canute shouted. Ocean, turn back now. I have told you to retreat before me. And now you must obey. Go back. Another larger wave came up and lapped at his feet. In came another wave and another wave and another wave. And throughout the day, Canute remained on his throne, screaming at the ocean to stop its ever-present uh, entreaty upon him. Finally, he said to his entourage, It seems I do not have quite so much power as you believe me to have. Perhaps now you will remember there is only one king who is all-powerful, and it is he who holds the sea and rules the ocean. I suggest you reserve your praises for him. Pardon me. <coughs> I'm dealing with the summer cold. I, I, I beg your pardon. Um, today, we are talking about humility. We are talking about humble praise and adoration of God. We are going to examine Psalm 138, which is a psalm of David. You know, in our world, we heap praises on many different things. We heap praises on many different people. Perhaps you heap praises on your spouse. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do. Maybe you look at your spouse and, and you say wonderful things to them all the time. Oh, honey, that was a wonderful dinner you prepared. 
Or, oh dear, the, the lawn looks so great after you mowed it and, and, and did the, the yard work. You're such an amazing person. You're such a wonderful spouse. Any of you do this? Wow, no hands. Okay, all right. So we're going to change the next sermon series to uh, how to be a better spouse. Uh, maybe somewhere down the line we'll do that. Um, but uh, we, we do. We heap praises on our spouse. Or we'll heap praises on our children. We'll heap praises on our children. Tell them, oh, honey, those were the, what, what, good, what good grades you got. You're, you're doing so well in school. And we'll praise our children. We'll praise them to raise their self-esteem and, and to make them feel good about themselves. Not a bad thing to do. Not a bad thing. We'll heap praises on uh, a celebrity or an athlete. We'll heap praises on, on people who uh, entertain us. <clears throat> how, many, how many award shows do we really need? Honestly, do, I mean, how many pats on the back do athletes and actors really, really need? To get paid millions of dollars to entertain, one would think that that would be enough. But no, we create golden statues and give them to them because they did something so incredible as to pretend to be someone else. I, don't get me wrong, I'm a former actor, okay? I, I studied acting for three and a half years in college. I was going to be famous. I was going to win golden statues. That was my dream. I've yet to win a golden statue, and I probably won't. But that's okay. I'm not in it for golden statues. But it's not that hard. Folks, it's, it's not that hard. $20 million to make a movie. $25 million to make a movie and get golden statues on top of it. It's, it's not that hard. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it requires memorization. Uh, it requires getting into character. It's not that hard. Then we have to heap praises and, and lavish glorious praises on the people or athletes who who throw a ball my son has been throwing a ball since he was two no one's paying him hundreds of millions of dollars to throw a ball if they did it'd be okay my, my favorite quarterback in the nfl is aaron Rodgers because he plays for the packers Nice try. You wish. So anyway, my, my favorite quarterback is, in Aaron, is Aaron Rodgers. And uh, this offseason, he signed a contract extension. Five years, $126 million. $126 million. Do you know what he does for a living? He throws a ball. He throws a ball. I've seen dogs throw balls. Um. So, so he throws a ball. And here's the other thing. Here's the thing I read recently about football, about the NFL. Okay, a football game is 60 minutes long. Okay, 60 minutes long is a football game. Of which there is actually 14 minutes of action. In a 60-minute football game, there is only 14 minutes of action. Seven minutes for offense, seven minutes for defense. Which means for $126 million... Aaron Rodgers goes out on the field and throws a ball for seven minutes, 16 times a year. Until they make the playoffs, and then it's 20 because they win the Super Bowl. See, there's this game they play every year in February. It's called the Super Bowl. Green Bay won one a couple years ago. It's been a while since they won. Sorry. Sorry. We'll get off that horse. But we heap praises 
on people who do very little. We'll heap praises on a coworker, on a colleague, because they did something great. They had a good performance. We'll heap praises on a boss or a CEO to try and get ahead. We heap praises on people. Why? Well, I'll tell you one, one of the reasons that we do it is because it feels good to make someone else feel good, right? Sure it does. You know, we like to praise people. We like to tell people that we appreciate them, that we appreciate their qualities. We appreciate who they are. We appreciate the things that they do. We like to praise people. Well, Psalm 138 is a psalm of praise. But it's not a psalm of praise. It's not a song of praise to a person. It's not a song of praise to an athlete or a celebrity or a spouse or a child or a boss or a CEO or a coworker or a colleague. No, Psalm 138 is a psalm of praise to God. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we're just about done with our sermon series through the Psalms. This summer we've been doing a sermon series called Psalms in the Key of Life and we've been going through various Psalms all summer long. We've got three left. Today's Psalm 138. Next week we're going to look at Psalm 40 and then the following week we're going to end the series by looking at the 23rd Psalm. And maybe the 23rd Psalm is one that with, with which you are quite familiar. You may know the words. You may have memorized them as a kid. The Lord is my shepherd. I you did memorize it as a kid. Very good. But rather than just hearing the words of Psalm 23 in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to talk about what they mean, as we do with each of these psalms. And so that's where we're going. And then the week after that, we're going to start, uh, we're going to talk about Labor Day. I've got a sermon from the book of Luke I'm going to preach on about Labor Day. And then shortly thereafter, we're going to start this series uh, that we're doing the church-wide Bible study on the, the prodigal God. And we're going to talk about the parable of the prodigal son for several weeks. But today we're, we're talking about the connection between humility and worship. Between humility and worship. So grab your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 138. <coughs> Excuse me. Turn to Psalm 138. And then grab your bulletin and turn to page 3 to the handy-dandy outline. And we're going to fill in some blanks in just a second. As we talk about Psalm 138, the song of the humble. The first blank on your outline is our posture, which is humility. Our posture is humility. Look at Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. <coughs> David says that he is going to praise the Lord with all of his heart. He is going to sing a song of praise to God. He is going to lavish praises upon the Lord God Almighty. He's going to sing the praises of the one true God before the quote-unquote gods of the earth. Now, in the original Hebrew, they're not sure exact, scholars aren't sure exactly who he's referring to, if it's like little g gods of, of stone and, and silver and gold, or if these are little g gods as, as though they are kings who have set themselves up as God, who tried to make themselves God. And so either way, it's, it's little g gods that, that aren't the one true God. Rather, David is going to bow down before the Lord and he is going to praise his name. Why? Because of God's love and because of God's faithfulness. Because the name of the Lord and the word of the Lord are exalted. 
Because God has heard David's prayers and he has answered David's prayers. There are two things, we, from these first three, three verses, we can learn two things about praising the Lord. The first thing we can learn uh, about praising the Lord is that we praise the Lord for who he is. We can praise the Lord for who he is. And the second thing that we learn is that we praise the Lord for what he has done. So we praise the Lord for who he is, and we praise the Lord for what he has done. We take a position of humility before the Lord. Humility always involves lowering yourself. Bowing down is a posture of humility. We lower ourselves when we come into God's presence. We lower ourselves before him. We humbly come and submit ourselves to him. question I have for you today is, why are you here? Why did you get out of bed on a Sunday morning, a perfectly good Sunday morning? Why did you get out of bed to come to this place today? We have come here today to lower ourselves and lift Jesus up. To lift up the name of Jesus. To bow before him in our hearts in submission and worship. We have come to praise the Lord Jesus today. To submit ourselves to God and the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus is our ultimate example of humble submission. Paul wrote about him in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He says this about Jesus. He was in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who Jesus is. Jesus came to earth, and he humbled himself to the will of the Father, and he suffered and he died on a cross for our sins. He shed his blood so that our sins could be washed away and we could be forgiven. And the Father raised him to life on the third day, just as he said he would. He said, I will rise on the third day, that, that God the Father will raise me on the third day. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus rose to, from the grave on the third day, and now... Jesus is exalted. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the Father's right hand. He is reigning in power and glory. And one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Jesus. He is the exalted Son of God. He is worthy of our humble adoration. He is worthy because of who He is. He is worthy because of what he has done. He has conquered death. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered the gates of hell. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. He is victorious. Amen? He hears our prayers. And he answers our prayers, just as David said. And he faithfully loves us. Faithfully loves us. Even we, we do not deserve such love. He is great. And he is greatly to be praised. And he does great things. And that is what the rest of this psalm is all about. The second blank on your outline is God's position, which is exalted. God's position, exalted. Look at verses 4 and 5. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord. 
when they hear the words of your mouth, may they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Those who think of themselves as exalted are the ones who are going to exalt the king. The kings of the earth will bow down before God. The kings of the earth will praise the name of the Lord. You know, we lift up lots of people. And we may lift up kings. We may lift up presidents. They are not higher than God. We praise celebrities. We praise athletes. They are not higher than God. We praise. We may serve our bosses or serve our CEOs. They are not higher than God. Only God is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the everlasting Father. He is Almighty God. There is no one like Him in heaven. There is no one like Him on earth. There is no one like Him under the earth. He is God. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord will bow down and confess willingly and they will bow down and confess joyfully. Those who have spent their lives in rejection of Jesus as Savior and Lord, they will see Him. They will see Him in all of His splendor. They will see Him in all of His glory. And they will have no choice but to bow down before Him. They will have no choice but to worship Him. They will have no choice but to praise Him. Because when you come into the presence of Jesus, when you come into the presence of the King of Kings, you have no choice but to bow down before Him. For He is great, and He is mighty, and He is awesome. Have you ever seen something that that just stopped you in your tracks? And you just stopped in your tracks, and, and you just exclaimed, Wow! Multiply that by a trillion. When you come into the presence of Jesus Christ, One day you're going to walk into his presence. One day you're going to see him face to face. And you will see him as one of two things. He will either be your savior or he will be your judge. And you will see him face to face. And when you see him, will he be your savior? Will he be the one who says, well done, good and faithful servant? (coughs) Will Will he be the one who says, come in, share in your master's happiness? Or will he be the judge that says, I never knew you. He is Jesus Christ, and he deserves all of the praise and all of the glory, and we will exalt him, and we will lift high his name. We will honor him, and we will praise him for all of eternity in his presence. We will join with the angels and with every living creature and elder in heaven, and every creature in heaven will sing his praises. There is a song that we are told about that goes on forever and ever in heaven. It's found in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. It says, day and night, the living creatures never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created. And have their being. He is God. And I imagine. (coughs) I have this image of heaven. 
with these four living creatures. And the Bible describes them in awesome terms. And I see these four humongous, hulking creatures bowing down before the Lord, bowing down before Jesus, nonstop bowing before Him. As they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I do not believe that their voices are, are monotonous. That it's not like a, a monotone Gregorian chant kind of, holy, holy. I hear thunder. When they open their mouths to speak, when they open their mouths to sing, there's a thunderous roar that shakes the very foundations of heaven. That as they stand before God, as they bow before the Lord, they cry out and the, their voices shake all of heaven. I want to be there. And then the elders bow down before him and they worship him. And one day I will bow down before him and I will worship him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We will echo the praise of Almighty God. When we get together on a Sunday morning, when we get together as a church family to worship and praise the Lord, this is something serious that's going on. We are echoing the praises of heaven. I, I told them in the first service this morning about uh, my vision that this weird thing that I think about sometimes is, is that you know there are 24 time zones on the planet, and, and I, I see that, I, I just feel like at, at midnight, Central Time, um, but at, at whatever time they get together in the very first time zone on Sunday morning, that, that a wave begins. A wave of praise and worship starts. And it just, from hour to hour, it just flows over the entire planet. That is, for 24 hours, once a week, for 24 hours, Christians gather in the name of Jesus to praise Him. And this constant wave just goes over the entire planet until, until every believer in Christ has expressed the glory that He deserves. You see, that's why you're supposed to be here. It's not to see your buddies. It's not to see your friends. It's not to hear an inspiring message. It's not to take communion. Those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. Fellowship, worship, communion, those are all good things. But the main purpose, to me, in, in my opinion, the main purpose of getting together as brothers and sisters in Christ is to lift up Christ, to praise Christ, to worship Christ. That is why we do what we do. That is why you need to be here. Because it is good to praise the Lord. It is good to give Him honor. It is good to give Him glory. To worship Him. For God is holy. And God is awesome. And God is mighty. And God is worthy of praise. Amen? The final blank on your outline is God's promise, which is deliverance. God's promise is deliverance. Verses 6 through 8. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. When we humble ourselves before the, before the Lord, something amazing happens. God lifts us up. He does not step on us or, or push us down even further. 
But when we bow before him in, in our hearts and we humbly come before him, he lifts us up. When we humble ourselves before Jesus, he lifts us up. He does not scold us. He does not look down upon us. He does not push us away. But rather, he is he's near to us. He lifts us up to himself and he brings us near to him. He comes to us and he saves us and he lifts us up. He saves us when we are in trouble. You see, God is mighty and he is mighty to save. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. We sing that song, mighty to save. We sing it pretty often around here. It's a great song that talks about how God is mighty to save. And this is the verse from where it comes. It is true. He can save us. He can deliver us from all of our troubles. He has a purpose for us, a plan for us, a will for us, and he will fulfill it. David was surrounded by enemies. As the king of Israel, he was surrounded by enemies all the time. Yet he took comfort in the fact that God would deliver him, that God would protect him, that God would lift him up and protect him. He would fulfill the purpose and plan that he had for David's life. See, God loves the humble. And the proud he will bring low. The psalm says that God knows the proud from afar. That he is not near the proud. Why is that? Because they're not near to him. In the Bible it says that if we will draw near to God, that he will draw near to us. There's only one way to draw near to God. And that is in humility. The proud, the arrogant, they say, I, I have no need for God. Why would I need to draw near to God? I have no need for him. Those he knows from afar. He knows them. But he is far from them, for they are far from him. But God loves the humble. God loves the humble. You know, the proud and the arrogant are satisfied with themselves. They are satisfied and contented with themselves. I'm okay. I got this. I'm all good. I don't need a savior. I don't need God in my life. I got this. I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to do the things that I want to do. I don't need God. I don't need anyone to deliver me. I don't need anyone to save me. The humble are the ones who say, I can't make it without you, God. The humble are the ones who say, I can't do this. The humble and poor in spirit are the ones that Jesus says will inherit the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5, 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who realize that they have nothing without God and are spiritually bankrupt are the happy ones. Why? That sounds crazy. It's because salvation begins in humility. When we humble ourselves before God and we come before him and we cry out to him for salvation and we cry out to him for deliverance, he hears us and he saves us. We believe in Jesus. We repent from our sins. We confess him as Lord and we, we are baptized and God washes away our sins. And we are set free from sin and we are set free from death. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is mighty to save and mighty to deliver us. And all of this is made possible by grace, by the free gift of God's grace. And that's exactly what it is. It's a gift. We don't deserve it. And we can't buy it. You can't put enough money in the offering plate. Oh, you can try. Please try. No, don't try. 
You can't buy it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't earn it. It is a wonderful gift of grace. And all you can do is humble yourself before God and receive it. If I were to give you a gift, if I were to have a, a, a gift here on stage, and I, I said, this is for you. If, if you want it, you can come get it totally free. It's a gift. Would you take it? Would you open it? Would you, would you receive the gift? I don't know, Sean. It kind of depends on what it is. If it's a miniature statue of a goat, I don't know that I want a miniature statue of a goat. <laughs> if it's a million dollars, well, yeah, I'll, I'll take that gift. The gift that Jesus has offered us, the gift of salvation, of eternal life in his presence, the gift of heaven, the gift of the gifts that come here on earth, the gifts of joy and peace and comfort and salvation and hope. These are beyond a million dollars. They're beyond $126 million. These are the gifts that God is able to give to us. So have you received this gift of grace yet? If you have, then hallelujah. My challenge for you this morning is to praise the Lord. Whether you're here on Sunday morning or driving home on Monday afternoon or, or at home on a Thursday night, humbly praise the Lord. Look for reasons to praise God. Look for the reasons you have to be thankful and to praise His name. Sometimes we get so negative and we're just down on everything. We get so caught in the muck and the mire of our lives that we can't see the reasons we have to praise God. Praise the Lord for what He has done. Praise the Lord for who He is. And if you have yet to receive this gift of grace, we invite you today to receive it, to come forward, to, to confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized today. You can do that today. And we invite you to do that. Or maybe you're investigating what this is all about. You're new to the faith and you're trying to figure things out. Sign up for our membership class today. It's out the door to the right. You can sign up for our membership class and learn a little bit more about what we believe here at GFCC and, and why we do what we do and and, and you can learn more about baptism and salvation and grace. We invite you to do that. But in all things, in all things, let us come before God in humility and surrender to Him as we praise His holy name.